Hey everybody, welcome back to the College Football Uncensored Podcast, brought to you by Texas Pete. Downset sauce like you mean it, visit texaspeat.com, enter promo code Saturday Down South to take 20% off your order for any sauce or apparel. I'm your host, Tyler Huck, and with me today is no one. Yeah, that's right. It's me solo, Uncle Chris. I, I don't know what kind of disease he may have, but he's very sick. He doesn't have a voice. Um, so I'm doing the pod solo today. Now, I'm not totally solo today, I will say. Um, I did an interview for an hour with an absolute legend of not only college football, but most of you probably know him from the NFL. He's a NFL Hall of Famer. I'm talking 16 seasons in the NFL, 13 with the Eagles, three with the Broncos, four-time first-team All-Pro, nine-time Pro Bowler. He's a member of the NFL 2000s All-Decade team. He's got his number retired in the Eagles Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'm talking about Weapon X, Brian Dawkins. Probably the best safety to ever play in the NFL, if I'm being honest. Um, very cool. He was gracious with his time um, and gave me an hour, which was awesome. We talked about you know, him growing up in Jacksonville. He was a big Florida fan. He actually was probably going to go there. Um, you'll hear that story. Ended up at Clemson. Um, he was first team all ACC, second team all American, gets drafted. Uh, obviously, historic career with the Eagles. And now he's kind of shifted his career outside of football. He was with ESPN for a while. He was actually with the front office for the Eagles. Um, Really cool story. Now he's kind of he's a he's a small business owner, and he he wrote a book which we talk about um, about and it's it's a it's a great book by the way. I read it so I could be up to speed for our interview. Um, so that will come after uh, I do my picks for the week. Um, now I put this together. I've never done a solo pod, so this could get interesting. Um, but we've got the picks for the week, and honestly, there's a lot of teams that are on the on a buy here uh, this week in the SEC. So um, there's only a, a three games that I think are probably worth breaking down for the week. We'll start nationally though, because there is some in the bigger picture. We'll start uh, number six Michigan at number eight Michigan State. This is at twelve o'clock on Fox. Michigan State four and a half point underdog at home to the in-state rival uh, over under 50 and a half. The last time this in-state rivalry was a top 10 matchup was October of 1964. So pretty sure at that point Harbaugh was like, I don't know. I don't know when his birthday is, but I think he was like an infant at that time. So um, it's been a long time. This is a classic Big Ten game. It's a noon game. You got two hard-hitting defenses. You got um, two teams that love to, to feature the run game. Uh, the loser of this game, it's a big game because it's a top 10 matchup. The loser of this game is basically eliminated from playoff contention. Um, I don't think either team was expected to be here at this point. So uh, it's especially shocking for Michigan State to be here. Um, you know, I will say neither team has played a tough schedule. So Michigan State has the lone win versus a top 25 opponent. But both undefeated. Mel Tucker in his second year at Michigan State. He went all in on the transfer portal this offseason to totally transform the team overnight. Um, uh, I, you got to give him a lot of credit. And his, I know his name is, is big with, within LSU circles right now. So 
you know, you may want, uh, if you're an LSU fan, you may want to watch this game. Um, he has Michigan State off to their best start since 2015. Um, they're coming off a bye week, and they, they bring in, you know, they, they've they've always been relatively strong on defense, but this year they have actually have a pretty respectable offense as well. They they got uh, Wake Forest transfer Kenneth Walker, we've talked about on the show. He's kind of been the catalyst. He's second in the nation with uh, about 1,000 yards rushing already, 10 total touchdowns. Last year, they never scored 30 once in any game they played in. This year, in five or seven games, they've they've scored 30-plus. So it's been a quick turnaround. They're going to need Walker to show up big because Michigan's defense is pretty damn good themselves. Um, they've held all of their opponents but one to 17 points or less. So you talk about Georgia obviously being the, the most elite defense in the country. Michigan, while not on Georgia's level, is approaching that level of not of having their opponents not score the ball. Michigan 7-0 for the first time since 2016. The offense has been pretty good for Michigan too. Uh, they've scored 30 or more in six of their seven games. Most of their wins have been by three touchdowns or more. So uh, again, not the best schedule, but still an impressive start. I think Harbaugh was kind of not on the hot seat, but people have definitely had questions about Harbaugh as time has gone on. Um, now, I want to take Michigan here, I think, to cover, but I also, I just think they have a better team than Michigan State, but this game always feels like it's weird, um, and the stats back that up. Michigan 2-11 and against the spread in the last 13 against Michigan State, 1-5 and on the road against the spread against Michigan State. I'm going to take Michigan to, to win. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to take them to win by three. So I'll take Michigan State to cover the four and a half. Michigan stays undefeated. Michigan State out of playoff contention. The other big game in the Big Ten this weekend, number 20 Penn State at number five Ohio State. 7.30 on ABC, night game. Ohio State minus 18 and a half, over 60. Um, last week, Penn State, Upset at home by Illinois. We all watched that crazy nine overtime game where only 16 points were scored. Just insane. Um, Ohio State beat Indiana by 47 points on the road at night last week. So this line opened up at 12 and a half, quickly shot down to 18 and a half, um, or shot up to 18 and a half. So heavy favorite for, for the Buckeyes. The total, like I said, ticked up to 60. Penn State, they had a great start to the year. They started the year 5-0. and uh, They were 4-1 and against the spread, but they've really come crashing back down to earth. They've lost to, consecutively to Iowa and Illinois, which obviously Illinois, that's a, that's a really bad loss. Um, that, that Illinois game, they were a 24.5-point home favorite, and um, they blew a 10-0 lead and lost in nine overtimes. They only managed to convert one of their six two-point conversions with the new overtime rules. And in all, they only ran for 62 yards in, in, in regulation. So so the bottom line with Penn State is they can't run the ball against anyone. Uh, they're 101st in the nation in rushing yards per game. Doesn't help that Sean Clifford clearly isn't healthy from that Iowa game. You know, if you remember back, they were up big in that Iowa game. Clifford goes out, the backup comes in, ends up losing the game, can't move the ball. Clifford was back for the Illinois game, but clearly he isn't right. Um, Penn State's offense has been held to 24 points or less in three straight games, and they've only cracked a 30-point plateau twice this season which is a problem when you're taking on an Ohio State offense that clearly has taken off at this point. 
Ohio State, five straight victories by 21-plus. In that stretch, they've outscored their opponents by an average of 42 points a game. So they're 4-0 against the spread in their last four, and on average, nearly a four-touchdown favorite in those spreads. So they are playing weak opponents, but they are dominating them uh, even more than Vegas thought they would. C.J. Stroud coming in hot. Uh, 14 touchdowns, zero picks in the last three games. Trevion Henderson, I was a big proponent of him at the beginning of the year. He's a true freshman running back for them. He has at least two touchdowns in four of his last five games. Um, Ohio State, they've won eight of their last nine against Penn State with an average margin of victory of 13 points. So that actually is within the spread here that you would say maybe would favor Penn State. Uh, Penn State only won twice in their last 13 times on the road against Ohio State. I just don't think Penn State is going to be able to slow down Ohio State's offensive attack. Um, my only question is, can they keep up on offense? And and I really don't think that they can. Uh, Clifford, not 100%. You can see how much their offense struggled last week against Illinois, who doesn't have a terrible defense, by the way, but they're not great either. Um, I'm, I got Ohio State big, 45-17. I think they cover the spread. And I truly think... You know, when we when we break down kind of Georgia and what their path looks like to not only making the playoff, but, you know, winning a championship, have they faced an offense that can put up serious numbers? Um, we're we're going to obviously preview the Georgia-Florida game here in a minute, but Ohio State is one of those offenses that I think continues to get better. Um, defensively, they're just okay. So I think I would still favor Georgia, but I think Ohio State may be one of the teams that could challenge Georgia for that championship. Um, moving over to the SEC, obviously, most of our listeners, SEC fans, will start. I think there's three games that int- intrigued me this year that I wanted to, uh, or this week that I wanted to break down. Number 12, Kentucky at Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State is a home dog of right now one and a half points. This is a seven o'clock game Eastern on SEC Network, over under 47. Kentucky has lost five games in a row in Starkville um, with the past three at a combined score of 115 to 36. So Mississippi State has taken care of Kentucky in convincing fashion pretty much any time they come into Starkville. Um, the Kentucky's last win in Starkville was 2008, which, I mean, that's when I graduated college. That's a long time ago. Uh, they won that game 14 to 13 with Randall Cobb playing quarterback for half the game. So that'll tell you how long it's been since Kentucky has actually won in Starkville. But they are favorites. Um, and Kentucky, they rattled off six straight wins to start the season before obviously losing to Georgia and Athens two weeks ago. They got a much needed buy coming off that game, you know, get things back on track. Um, Mississippi State themselves are coming off, um, you know, just absolutely drubbing Vandy 45 to six. That was basically a bye week for them after getting slaughtered by Alabama 49 to nine the, the week before that. So, um, Kind of the same setup coming in this game, um, uh, somewhat for both teams. Uh, Kentucky, Chris Rodriguez, even despite the game in Athens where he had seven yards on seven carries, which is just ridiculous by the defense on Georgia, he's still averaging 6.1 yards per carry. Um, He's got 775 on the year uh, as far as yards are concerned, seven total touchdowns. Will Levis, he's had an up-and-down year overall. It's been nice, 1,300 yards, 13 touchdowns. Obviously, I think Mark Stoops needs to rally the troops here because, look, for Kentucky, this is 
this is probably the toughest game left on your schedule. I, I get they still have to play Tennessee, and I'm, I am a, a fan of what Tennessee has done this year. They've been much better than I thought they would, but it is a home game. Um, I think this is probably the toughest one you have left on your schedule if you're Kentucky. And if you can win this one, you've got Tennessee, which is another big one, admittedly, next week. But then you go Vandy, New Mexico State, and Louisville to end the year. They have a real chance of going 11-1 and if you can win this game and, and play in a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, which is just incredible at Kentucky. I mean, Mark Stoops is uh, doing such a good job there. Um, for Mississippi State, quarterback Will Rogers, he leads the SEC at 387 yards passing per game. Uh, last week, he had four touchdowns against Vandy. He has been turnover prone, though. Uh, he had three picks against Alabama. He had two last week against Vandy. He actually should have had three. One, one got overturned. I guess he shouldn't have, but he did get picked a third time. It got overturned. Um and so that's going to be something to watch. I think Mississippi State, their defense has been good. They held Vandy to, and it's Vandy, but they held them to 155 total yards. Five of their last six games have gone under. So not only that, I think a lot of things are screaming under in this game as being a good bet. Um, the under is 12-2 and two in Mississippi State's last 14 games at home. Um, the under is 4-0 and oh in the last four against Kentucky. So I do expect this to be a lower scoring game. But I'm going to take Kentucky. I, I'm a big believer in Kentucky at this point. Um, they played Georgia better than I thought, even though you know we had the whole timeout at the end to cover the spread. Um, I'll take Kentucky in a low-scoring game on the road. I'll, I'll do something like 24-21. So um, Kentucky covers the spread and wins the game. So it should be pretty interesting to watch that, though. Um, we'll move to the game in the plains number 10 Ole Miss at number 18 Auburn seven o'clock Eastern on ESPN Auburn a three-point favorite at home over under 66 Ole Miss they made it to the top 10 already in Lane Kiffin's second season incredible it's only the third Ole Miss coach to reach the top 10 in his second season of coaching um Ole Miss, uh, last week, they snapped a five-game losing streak against LSU, and they'll have to do something similar here with Auburn as they haven't beaten the Tigers since 2015 when old Swag Kelly was running around the field. Um, Matt Corral, obviously, is the story for Ole Miss. 24 total touchdowns, only one pick. You know, that was the big thing coming into this year that people talked about. Can you cut down on the turnovers? And if you can, Ole Miss will do good things. And obviously, they're going to have to get better on defense. Well, he's done his part for sure. 24 total touchdowns, like I said, only the one interception. 1,900 yards passing, another almost 500 on the ground. He's been banged up lately, but he looked good against LSU. I, I've. I have full confidence he'll be ready to go in this game. Ole Miss averaging 42 points per game uh, on the back of a really good running game. You know, when you take Corral on the ground, plus you got Jerry Neely, Snoop Connor, Henry Parrish, they're averaging 263 yards per game on the ground, which is the third highest in the country. And the defense is starting to play better too. I mean, you, you had a nice goal line stand last week against LSU, created three turnovers. Uh, you've had back-to-back -back weeks now, even in that Tennessee game, where the defense is certainly starting to play better uh, than they, at least they did in the previous two weeks against Arkansas and Alabama. And for Auburn, you know, Bo Nix has been the story, and wouldn't you know it, but he's been a mostly good story this year. Um, he looked really good last week against Arkansas. Uh, threw for a season high uh, 292 yards, three total touchdowns. He he only has two picks himself this season. Auburn's coming off a bye. Um, 
Auburn off a buy over the last decade has been great, not only for their record, but also for betters that are betting on Auburn. Nine and one straight up off the buy, seven and three against the spread. Um, now, Auburn, they've won seven of the last eight against Ole Miss at home. So there is a trend here. Um, it sounds like Auburn could get Owen Popo back this week. Sounds like Harson said that he may be available for this game. He's missed the last four games with a leg injury. Um, if it seems like I'm leaning towards Auburn, uh, it's because I am. Ole Miss, they're known for their explosive plays, but as far as Power 5 teams are concerned, Auburn is only behind Georgia and Penn State in stopping the explosive play on defense, especially through the air. Um, I think Auburn comes into this game. They try to establish the run game. Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter. Bigsby's averaging 5.2 yards per carry, which is nothing to turn your nose up at, but Hunter is averaging 8.6 yards per carry. Ole Miss on defense, 119th in the country in defensive success rate against the run. You guys know I love to throw out the the, uh, the uh, statistics there, especially the advanced ones. Um, Ole Miss, they've lost nine of their last 12 on the road, 2-8-2 and two against the spread in their last 12 games against Auburn. I'm going to go ahead and take Auburn to, to win this game and cover, 35-31. Um, and just another step in the right direction for Harson and company up there in Auburn. Obviously, lastly, um, we're going to go down to Jacksonville. Number one, Georgia versus Florida, unranked Florida. Um, Georgia, a 14-point favorite in this game, 330 game on CBS. Um, uh, Chris and I were talking about this before he got sick. Maybe even we're talking about it on the pod. I can't remember, but. I think Georgia is looking to come out and make a statement against Florida. Um, obviously, Florida last year beat Georgia 44-28 to to end the SEC East Division title streak at three. Obviously, this season for Georgia, the big story is the defense. They're giving up 6.6 points per game. If you're scoring six points in a game in today's college football, there's a 100% chance you're not winning that game. Um that is first in the nation by a long shot. The, the next closest is Michigan, which we just talked about. Uh, it's nearly eight points higher per game than, than uh, or fewer than, than Georgia. So it's, Georgia's defense is on another level. And actually, you're going to want to listen to the Brian Dawkins interview because we talk about that, about Georgia's defense and just how incredible it is. And who better to ask than a Hall of Fame safety, Weapon X, best safety to ever live. Um, Georgia is not only elite at stopping the run, but they're elite at stopping the pass. And the conversation around Georgia has definitely shifted towards, okay, what are we going to do here? Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels if JT is healthy? Obviously, we interviewed Herb Street a couple weeks ago. He said he, he would stick with Stetson. He thinks there's something going there. I've said I think you got to have JT to, to beat the elite teams in college football. But Stetson Bennett last week, 14 for 20, or, or two weeks ago against Kentucky, 14 for 20 for 250, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, he's playing great ball, man. I, when I say I think you need JT to win the elite game the elite, against the elite teams in those big games, it's not a knock on Stetson as much as – and maybe I've got too much of last year's – games in my mind when you go play florida and it's not really close you play bama and it was close for a half but then it wasn't really close so i just think that jt daniels gives you a little bit more there 
Kirby Smart says JT will be back this week. He said he's going to use both quarterbacks, which to me, I don't really like the sound of that. I don't like that idea, honestly. It it remains true. Look, I'm a Florida State fan, and I, I we've seen some bad quarterbacking. We came in to this year with a plan to use two quarterbacks, and it didn't work out. And when you move to one and you can get some consistency going with one, you stick with one. I don't think you rock the boat there. So Kirby said it's going to happen. We'll see if it actually does. Um, obviously, the the ground game, I, I think I heard that Kendall Milton has an injury that's going to keep him out for a bit. But Zamir White and James Cook, obviously on the ground. It's still amazing to me that your two leading receivers are a true freshman tight end in Brock Bowers and a redshirt freshman named Lad McConkie that's leading the re- the receivers for the team. It's just crazy. But they've they've done it with Stetson Bennett. I mean, talk about all the injuries. It's just crazy. When you have a defense like that, I guess you really don't have to put up big points in most of the games that you're playing. And they've, they've still been able to put up points. Um, Florida obviously comes in with a bit of a QB controversy of their own. Fans have been clamoring for Anthony Richardson, which I can totally understand. The offense looks different when he's in there. I mean, when he went in against LSU, the offense was humming. He had four touchdowns uh, in that game alone. Emory Jones has been okay. I mean, he's thrown nine picks, I think, to 10 touchdowns, so been a little turnover prone, but both of them threw two picks against LSU two weeks ago, so... I think you'll see both play in this game. Dan Mullen seems content to continue to run Emory Jones out there. I don't know why. I don't know. This is just a conspiracy theory for me. I don't think he's going to be at Florida much longer. I don't think it's that the administration is going to fire him as much as I just don't. I think he's more built for the NFL game. I've been saying that for a while. It clearly it, it rubs off in recruiting. I mean, they've, Florida just lost their two top commitments from their class this past week or over the last few weeks. And I think they're somewhere down near like UCF level as far as recruiting. And I don't know, you know, you, you go around the SEC and you got these maniacal guys like Saban and Jimbo and Kirby that are just seem all in on the whole process of recruiting and, and coaching and development. And I just don't feel that from Mullen. And I, I don't know, I, but part of it too, is just like, it's just so weird that he's not playing Richardson. There's just something there that I don't get, but anyways, Florida two weeks ago got absolutely gashed in the run game against LSU. They gave up 287 yards and three touchdowns to Davis Price. I mean, they LSU just kept running counter every play and ripping off huge runs, and they never adjusted. And and you know, it's Grantham. He's just going to get the heat every week. Mullen doesn't seem to want to make a change there either. I think it could be a big day for Zamir White and James Cook. Um, I think you do get a breakout game from someone like a Zamir White in this game for Georgia. Uh, this will be Georgia's biggest test on their defense, though. I mean, as much as we'll see if they split, but I think Richardson does bring a little something to the table. Um, we'll see. I, I like Mullen as a, an offensive game planner and caller, and um, I think Florida will put up probably the most points that Georgia will have allowed this year. But... I have to think that Kirby and Dan Lanning, they're going to be prepared for Anthony Richardson. And I think they're going to, they're, they're going to want to, you know, put their foot down and, and crush Florida for not only last year, you know, kind of almost blowing them out in a sense and, and ruining their little streak they were putting together in the division, but just 
make a statement that we're we're not going to lose this game and we're not going to lose a game this year and, and then we'll get to the playoff and and we'll see what happens from there but I think UGA, you know, they give up their highest point total, but I still think the Gators only get to 20, 21 points. Um, I have that much faith in in Georgia's defense. Like I said, I'm calling a breakout game for Zamir White. I think Georgia puts up somewhere around 35 points. Um, so you're right there. You know, if it's 35 to 20, that's a that's a cover. Uh, so I guess I'll take Georgia to cover the 14, continue the toward pace, and. Um, you know, from here, look, you got, again, you got Tennessee, and then it's it's basically coast until you get to the SEC championship game. So um, this is a big hurdle. I think Kirby and those guys will be prepared. Georgia takes down Florida, covers the spread. Um, those are the games for this week. If you tuned in to hear your Uncle Chris, I'm sorry he wasn't able to make it. Hopefully, I did a good job. I think you're really, really, really going to like this interview with Brian Dawkins. I mean... Trust me when I tell you when I when I get a Zoom, I set up the Zoom with with Dawkins, and I see he's coming in. You know, let let Brian Dawkins in the chat. I'm a hard drop, man, because that guy. If you if you are my age or or even younger, and you watch Brian Dawkins play, that dude is an absolute animal on the field. I mean, he's Weapon X for a reason. You know, it's the whole Wolverine thing from Marvel. Like he's just an absolute beast. Played with so much passion. I'm a Falcons fan. We talked about it. I was like, dude, I've watched you single handedly beat us in the playoffs twice. Both times we played them in the 2000s, uh, he picked off Vic in b- both of those games, and he absolutely punished both Vic and Algie Crumpler in that in those games. We talked about it a little bit. Um, but the nicest dude in the world, like. You know, the, as much passion as he had on the field, and and you'll see he has a lot, ton of passion when he talks. Um, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to get from him, but absolute nicest guy in the world. Um, and he's doing some really good things with his book, um, which is a great book, by the way. We'll talk about it more, but it's called Blessed by the Best. Um, and it's a great interview. So without further ado, Brian Dawkins. All right, we want to welcome a very special guest here. Uh, it's NFL Hall of Fame safety. It's Weapon X, Brian Dawkins. Brian, how you doing today, man? I'm absolutely blessed, brother. Absolutely blessed. Good, good. I want to get into your book. Uh, I was actually had a chance to read it before uh, we met here, so I definitely want to ask you a bunch of questions about it. But I just, what have you been up to since the last time you walked off the field uh, in the NFL in 2012? A I know, lot of things. I, yeah, I know. I saw you on ESPN wow. for a bit, and then I know you were with the yeah. front office with the Eagles for a bit. So, what have you been up to? Yeah, so that's some of those things, and a lot of that is a lot of that is in the book. Yeah, just a little bit of a um, couple of years at ESPN, a couple of years of uh, coaching a little high school football, just a little while. Um, executive for the Philadelphia Eagles for a couple of years, and and then growing, you know, growing as a as an individual of understanding, um, you know, the brain trauma. Like it's a lot of different things that I've been studying over yeah. the last couple of years in, in relation to like football in general or just um just as a whole with the brain no just a whole just a yeah. whole how, how you go how how we go about programming our brains you mm-hmm. know the, how to matter of fact how did i do what i did you know how did i go about developing the mindset that i developed throughout my career and so that's yeah. some of the things that i'll be helping others be able to do for themselves to come up with their version of the things that i was blessed to do so the book is called Blessed by the Best, My Journey to Canton and Beyond. Uh, like I said, I read it. It's fantastic. We're going to get into how you get it at the end here. Um, I want to start beginning. Um, 
in the book, you talk about growing up in Jacksonville on the yeah. north side of town. Um, in your neighborhood, you just kind of described it as blue collar, a lot of fighting going on when you were young. And your mom told you, never start a fight. But if you get in one, you better be relentless and you better finish the fight. Is that kind of where your football mentality came from at a young age? Little bit of that. Well, a lot of bit of that. That was one of the mindsets. She she basically gave me permission to uh <laughs> to go at it with someone, right? But it, it was it was a neighborhood as well, right? So like I said in the book, there's there's a certain amount of physical confrontations you're gonna get I'll say it like that, that you're gonna have to right. get into at some point to uh to to show I guess what you're about a little bit in the neighborhood. And so that mindset growing up there, once again and my mom giving me that, you know, that absolute star, say, Hey, this is the way you go about handling your business when business has to be handled. <laughs> right. So I took took that same mindset and now I've been applying that to life, like different aspects of life. And so I've changed that into, you know, fighting in that nature or fighting mm -hmm. in that way to me being a pullback person. Like you have to tell me to slow down, not speed up because I'm going to always give you hard. I'm going to go hard at you. And whatever you give me, I'm going to go hard to give you more than is expected. And you're going to have to tell me once again to slow down, not speed up. Interesting. By the way, just a side note, your mom sounds like a total badass. I mean, she, <laughs> she, she beat breast cancer. She rang the bell, survived three strokes. Sounds like she'll put you in your place if she needs to. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's <laughs> to this day, she'll still give you a piece of her mind, Jack. She'll, she'll let you know. Yeah. She'll I love that. Now, uh, on the flip side of that, I can't move on from your childhood without crediting your dad too. You mentioned something about him being more of a thermostat than a thermometer when it came to conflict resolution. Um, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? More of a thermostat than a thermometer? So thermostat and thermometer, <clears throat> you just look at the, the, the instruments that we're discussing, right? So thermostat does what? Thermostat changes the temperature of a room the way that I see it. And a thermometer changes with the temperature in the room. So it basically, whatever the temperature is, you put the thermometer in there, excuse me, right. and it changes to fit that. So my father was someone that I've come to define him as, as being the ultimate when it came to that, because whatever room that he walked into, I remember watching him as he walked into different rooms. I would watch not just him, I would watch the people and I would see them as soon as they turn around to see him, they lit up, mm -hmm. their smile come, came on their faces because they knew the type of energy, the type of person that he was. And he was, he was about to mess with someone or say something funny or do something in a, to bring a light, um, a light mood to the atmosphere. But I've also witnessed him being a coach, mm -hmm. handle some tough parents um, coming on, having conversations, wanting to be confrontational with him but i watched him be so patient with them to continue to keep a calm demeanor and it it actually brought the the thermostat down in, in in the conversation to have the other person come down to his octave right so i watched that and when i'm little you know you don't know what you're watching right but as i got older and i reflected back on some of the things that i then do in my life and why i do them i recognize wow that's a powerful example that I have. And it's one of the reasons that I'm, I call myself a respective, a respect, a respectful thermostat. Okay. I don't just walk in blabbing and, and doing things. I'm actually an introvert. Yeah. <laughs> but if there's a, in a situation that the temp, temperatures are getting too heated, I am one of the individuals that will step in to help calm it down. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially in a, 
locker room atmosphere or in a business setting, if things are too laxed, you know, and it needs to be up a little bit, I'm, I'm probably going to be that individual that's going to mention something or do something or say something to get people going in a in a more productive um, direction. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, now, your dad was, he was big into baseball, I think you said in the book, right? And you actually liked basketball growing up, but you end up Hey, look, I, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know if you see the, fo uh, the football helmet behind me, but I went to Florida State. I know you were a Gator growing up, which I, you know, I can't say much to you because you're a big guy, but I don't, I don't, I don't love the Gators. I can um, dig it. <laughs> but you, but you know, obviously Florida, football is king down there. So you end up just playing it if you live in Florida. Um, but so you got into football, played it for a year and then you almost quit, right? Tell that story a little bit. So when I first got uh, into football we played it in the neighborhood all the time but i'm talking about organ, organ, organized football i guess you can call it the first year i had a chance to play football i played running back excuse me started off at quarterback and then i asked the coach could i move to running back because our, my line was struggling and it was hard for me to to, to get the <laughs> center exchange and, and actually hand it off to someone so right. i at least wanted to have the opportunity to make somebody miss and I'm, you know, I'm not uh, ragging on my line. They were new too, yeah. so we were all kind of learning the game. But for me, I needed to be able to make somebody miss. Right. So playing running back was a better option for me. And I had success with it. Now, the first year I played, I had a chance to play for two coaches. One had already been at the park, and the other one was new to the park. I chose the new coach. So that next year, the, the new coach that I played for had to go do something else in the park or I think he um, had a higher position or something that he was able to get. So I had to go play for the old coach mm -hmm. and that coach moved me to center. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So so that's the that's the lead up to, to the conversation. So me playing running back quarterback and then moving to center, I hated it. I'm like, no, there's no way I'm doing this. Right. But here's the thing. My, my, my father told me the first year that if you do you want to play? And he asked me that a couple of times, do you want to play? Do you want to play? Are you sure you want to play? Because he said that if you start it, you're going to finish it. You're not quitting. There is no quitting. So you're going to, and not only are you going to play it, you're going to have a good attitude and be coachable the whole time, right? Mm -hmm. That was the foundation of it all. Yeah. So once that center came in and I asked him to go talk to the coach and he did, and I thought he was going to be like, well, yeah, you, you know, you're going to play something else. No, he said, nope. The coach said you're actually good at center, so you're going to stay there. Right. Was, you guys to be kidding me. Yeah. So once again, I had a, I could not quit. I had to have a good attitude. I had to stay coachable. And so what I also developed then, though, is uh, a desire and a drive to do more than is expected of me. Because I was trying to show them I'm supposed to be doing other things. Mm-hmm. And so that really began to develop that worker, that true grinder worker, willing to push and persevere through things in order to show others that I can do more than what you expect me to do. That developed in me. So okay. that's 12, 13, 14. That's yeah. young, young age. And here's the thing. I had success with it. So once you have success and you give your all and you have success with it, boom, that's a neural pathway that's cre created, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I really, I like that feeling, dopamine right. and all the feel good yeah. chemicals. Your yeah. So I've created that even at a young age, I didn't know I was doing it then, but I know what I did now mm -hmm. as I look back over that time. Right. So the philosophy that my mom taught me to fight, like she told me to fight. And my dad told me what he told me of finishing what you start. Patience. Stay coachable the whole time, yeah. basically accept accountability, 
and then give more. And I developed the, 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 the term of, of giving more than is expected of me. Those two principles, if you want to just say two principles, I've applied in my life. And that's really two of the main reasons I've had the success that I've had. Interesting. Uh, and then there's a lot of information leading up through high school. You went through a lot of trials and tribulations, but I got to know we're a college football show. College football is and has been huge in Florida for a long time. You're a senior in high school. You're getting recruited. You're a Gator fan. They are recruiting you. Florida State's recruiting you. Uh, and Florida, Florida State and Miami were powers at the time you were coming up and through high school too. How'd you end up at, at Clemson? So actually, Florida State was not necessarily recruiting me. Okay, all right. Well, Florida well. was recruiting me. They were right down the road, to be honest with you. 45 minutes to an hour away from yeah. the house game, Villalil. So they're close enough that um, I think I caught their eye. I was not recruited by Miami. I was not recruited by Florida State. And so mm -hmm. that was where I wanted to go. That's where I thought I was going to be. But my GPA was not <laughs> excuse me, where it needed to be mm -hmm. going into my senior year. And I was not a big enough recruit size wise or I, I guess um, the way that people viewed me. I just wasn't a big recruit in that way. Mm -hmm. And so they lit, they literally took the scholarship back. So they wow. took the scholarship back. And so I had really nowhere to go besides a couple of schools. And one school that was still pursuing me was actually South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And so one day I tried to call and commit there but i couldn't get in contact with nobody but now i know i know now that once they stop talking to you you're no longer on the radar sure so how i got to clemson was literally this that my good friend patrick sapp who's um would have been like a four or five star in today's rankings rating scales clemson wanted him bad enough that he basically called them and told them that if i come to clemson dog has to come with me that's, that's how crazy I got to now, now I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know that back then. I know I, I found this out maybe 15 years ago. Okay. I thought I thought they actually wanted me, but no. That's that's how I got to Clemson. So people don't really recognize that. They don't know that because I've never told the story. But yeah, that's how I got to Clemson. That's interesting, man. Well, hey, they can thank Patrick Sapp for getting a Hall of Famer on their books. Absolutely. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the yeah. blessed, the, blessed, the, blessed and surprised that I'm the only Hall of Famer at, from Clemson. That's crazy. So you're a Hall of yeah. Famer at Clemson and you're the only NFL Hall of Famer that went to Clemson. Yep. That's insane. Now, obviously, recruiting is crazy. And your, your son actually played for Clemson, right? Yes, he did. He did. So uh, as you know, recruiting is just insane now as compared to how it used to be. And even now when you get on campus, it's totally different. You had a lot of struggles your first year at Clemson that you detail in the book. In today's game, like you stuck with it and you became a three-year starter at Clemson. You were first team all ACC, second team all American as a senior, led the, the league in picks. But your freshman year wasn't, it was tough. And so nowadays they got this transfer portal where these kids, you know, if they're not getting immediate playing time or maybe they have a disagreement with a position coach, boom, they hit the portal, they're out. What are your thoughts on the transfer portal? Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing for college, for college football? It's, it's, it's a good thing for those who are literally in a, a space that they aren't doing being done right like there are there are individuals you can i can attest to that that mm -hmm. you know coaches have their favorites or they have the way that they see things and how they want things to be and they don't give that individual basically a, a true shot to be able to have success that does happen but i will say this for those other individuals who are on the cusp and it's not that and you just literally have to outwork this other dude and you can do and you can do it that's where the decision has to be made that 
you know, and, and for me, once again, for, for me coming from where I came from in my household, there, was, there wouldn't have been any transfer. Yeah. If I had an opportunity to play, and but I had to outwork someone to, in order to do it, then that's what's going to be expected of me because the way that my, my, my father talked to me about competing and, and the like, that was what I would have done, right? But again, mm-hmm. if it's an abusive situation, that's different. If it's not, sure. you work. Yep. And see, when you work through stuff like that, what it did, what it does for me anyway, it did for me is it builds character. That you can add that now to the the things and traits in my character. When I mm-hmm. put, the, I guess you can call it like a put my character coat on. Right. A part of that that I reach and put, can pull out is that grit mm-hmm. to outwork cats, to outwork this dude, right? To fight through supposed. Um, favoritism or whatever the case may be talent when you express talent in the way that i see it when your talent truly shines and you absolutely are outshining this other cat that coach would be an absolute idiot to not put talent on the field to help him win ball games that's the way that i see it i like that um so now they got this whole nil thing in college name image and likeness um I am a big proponent. I, I've never been able to figure out on my own how the athlete in college gets compensated somehow, but it had to happen at some point. It's too big of a business now, college football is, to not compensate essentially what our employees. Been. Yep. Yeah, well, that, you're, you're right. You're right. It just become more and more over time. 18 to 21 year old Brian Dawkins, if he's landing an NIL deal, what are you going after at that point in your life? Well, you the, first thing that I, the first thing that I do. And because I know it's, it's hard for me to think back then what I would have done. Yeah. I just know now that the smartest thing to do is to get someone to help you in that, to not try to do that on your own, to get right. someone a, a reputable, whatever the case may be, that, that can help you in building your image, to maintain it in an image, right? And then to monetize it and then to put some of it off to not utilize a lot of it. If you can utilize some of it, cool, but put some of it off into yeah. some type of whatever it is that you guys come up with financially in order to help it grow, right? And so that's what I would advise first, but then as, as a um, someone who have, would have loved to utilize my image to do autograph sessions yeah. and all of that stuff to make some money because we literally needed it being, I got married, we got married in, in my, my junior year. Yeah. And I remember my wife, you know, really working late shifts and sometimes work double shifts in order for us to, 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 um, to make ends meet in college, bro. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, I couldn't work, and um, like yeah, it was you're like literally not allowed to work, right? Now you could, I, you couldn't, yeah. literally could not work. So yeah. I'm like, we can't. We, I'm, I develop ulcers, ulcers. Excuse me from yeah. worrying, you know, about rent and and, and lights and like. That was brutal. And on yeah. top of that, I'm playing, right? Instead right. of studying and all of those yeah. things. So, you know, that to be able to have that as something to fall back on, like to really have that, some of the things that were being produced in Clemson with my number and my image on it, to be, right. to have some of that, to pay, to literally pay rent. Come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're totally right. And I'm glad they're starting to figure it out. Yeah. Um, so, have a great career at Clemson. You enter the 96 NFL draft. And I think in the book, you said you didn't maybe have the best combine that you wanted to have, no. you, but then you ended up running a four, four, one at your pro day. I, 
I don't think there's many people that get a, a behind the scenes look at like what the draft process is really like, especially for, you know, somebody like when I was 21, man, I was worried about like going out and like I was probably making 30 grand here in Atlanta, like going out to bars, meeting girls like you're about to start a real career. Where you're going to be making millions. What is that draft process like going up into the draft? It's 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 real hectic. You know, it's, it's real. Um, you, you rush from room to room, doing interview after interview with different teams, taking tests, and you're poking at you. They're pulling on you. Um, it's real. Um, some of it is very impersonable. Impersonal, excuse me. Mm -hmm. You know the. And one of the things I hated about it is you walking up like a piece of livestock and people looking at you with your shirt off and you walking right. up. And I hated that. I hated yeah. that. And so it's, a lot of it is extremely uncomfortable um, because the things that we as players actually obviously want to do is, yes, talk. To, we can talk, you know, but I want to show you. Like, I want to show you what I can do. And you can, you can see... And you can talk to guys, and again, you do need to understand the mindset of the person that you're going to draft. I understand that. I really, I've been an executive, so I understand that process. But it's just certain parts of it that the pot, the prodding, the poking, the impersonable, um, the way that sometimes things are done. I, I, I literally hated it. Hated it. And you would have teams coming in saying, "Yeah, we think we're going to draft you here," because I know you, you thought you maybe would go to the Chiefs at the bottom of the first round. They end up taking a totally different free safety, which I'll, I'll just make a side note. I mean, I'm sure Jerome Woods, good enough player, good enough guy, made a Pro Bowl in 2003. I kind of feel like KC might regret that pick. I don't know. I'm just going to say that. You don't have to respond yeah. to that. <laughs> um, and then not only did they pass on you in the first round, but then they took another safety in the second round. And um, all along, the Eagles had interest in you. And yeah. um, they had sent a DB coach, uh, Danny Smith, to your pro day. And right. this is just a total side note, by the way, but there's an interesting connection. So Danny Smith is the brother of Ed Smith. He played quarterback at Michigan State. Okay. When he was done with his career. He moved his family down to Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where I grew up. Me and his son were really good friends in high school. Oh, really? And when I was in uh, at Florida State, I took a sports agent class because I thought maybe that's where I wanted to go. And what I was tasked with interviewing either an agent or an athlete that had an agent. Mm -hmm. So Ed hooked me up with Danny and he was like, call Danny. He'll, he was a special teams coordinator with the Redskins at the time. And you'll remember this guy because you guys were in the same division. I call him. He's walking off the practice field and he hands the phone to Rock Cartwright. You remember that guy? Yeah, I remember yeah. Rock. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so I got to interview Rock right there on the, on the practice field. But that's a pretty cool connection, I thought. When I saw Danny Smith in the book, I was like, I know exactly who that guy is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was the cat. He was the cat they sent out. Yep. Yeah. So he sees you at Clemson Pro Day, but they don't even, they don't even really kind of tell you the interest they have in you because you were pretty surprised when they drafted you, right? I was very surprised. I I'd really, I really had no idea that that they had that much interest. You know, teams do a lot of, um, I won't say lying, but they do a lot of. Uh, they don't want to show their hand, right? Yeah, they don't want to show their hand, but I'm talking about even to the player that, that they okay. say similar things to to, to guys, right? To, sure. Without tipping their hand, like they try to show that they're interested in everybody, right? But they're right. not interested in everybody. So, even, just like for instance, when you're coming out of high school, you get a lot of these questionnaires from colleges. That doesn't mean that they want you. They're just right. You know, they might have caught your name from somewhere, and they send out the same questionnaire to pretty much four, eight 
10, 20 other guys on the same on your team. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily no. Uh, it's not necessarily that they want you. It's just you know they're sending it out to get information potentially. Okay, so they draft you. Long story short, they draft you in the second round. And where I'm going with this is, you have a saying: "Haters are my elevators." Yep. Uh, did that fall and kind of that KC spurring you like that, uh, maybe amongst other teams, is that kind of what drove you to have the kind of career you had in the NFL? It's one of the things. It's not the thing, but it's okay. absolutely. That's one of the logs that was on my fire. To know that in my mind, the way that I saw it, I was the uh, last pick in the second round because of the compensation pick that the Eagles got. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was brought to my attention that that was because Seth Joyner had left so you know one of the best linebackers to ever play in philadelphia was one of the reasons that i was able to come to philadelphia because you know he moved on but the way that i saw it though is i was the first pick in the third round right that's how i saw it right and that wouldn't have happened if i was six one six two so whatever those two catches you said Mm -hmm. how big were they both of them yes. were six, look, six one. Both of them were two hundred ten plus. Had I been that, I would have been a first round draft pick. But because mm-hmm. I was not, I was not, and that's how I figured. That's how I. That's how it. I wrapped my mind around it, and so I was livid. I was excited. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was livid. I was livid that all those teams passed me up because I wasn't. I wasn't. I think I might have been the, like this, maybe the sixth safety pick or something like that. And literally, that was because of my doggone size. Mm-hmm. And I hated, I hated that fact. And so that was the, one of the logs that I put on my fire to prove, yes, at that time, I was literally like, I'm going to prove every last one of these teams, especially if you took a safety. If you took a safety, I'm going to outplay every last one of them. Matter of fact, not only am I going to outplay them from a talent-wise, I'm going to play longer than any of them. Maybe all of them combined, the way that I was playing. That, that's that's how, it, how that fueled me. I love that, man. Um, you know, in Philadelphia, you know, your guy from the South going up, crazy fan base up there in Philly. First year in the NFL wasn't easy. Um, you're trying to balance the, the, the big business of the NFL, the obvious toll that the NFL probably takes on your body. Plus, you have your wife, Connie, and you have a newborn, uh, Brian Jr., who you said had colic, so no one's sleeping. I'm going through that currently. I got a four-month-old son. Dude, yeah. when I tell you that that stuff brings anxiety, uh, anxiety to the highest level, amongst your whole life and it's probably the lack of sleep lack of sleep, that, that's the lack, lack of sleep and that crying yeah i mean it is it is tough and so things started to go down a, a dark path for you and you described in the book you said you know you got really depressed you got really angry you got so angry that you put your head through a wall which I, dude you must have a, a an enormous neck because i don't know how you put your head through a wall um but the discussion about mental health is something that you've really kind of you've taken your career and you've focused on that. Uh, and, and the discussion in this country around mental health is getting louder and louder. The pandemic hasn't helped anybody in regards to that. Um, what did you do back then to kind of right the ship? And, and what was that time like for you? And then what kind of advice do you have for people now that may be going through those same feelings of anxiety and depression? Yeah, I mean, one of the first things that I did is I recognized and I finally did what I should have done a long time ago. And that was give someone permission in my life for me to open up and talk about the things that were going on in my life. And I had not did that. I had not done that, excuse me, at mm-hmm. that time. And it finally got to that point that I needed to, I had 
kept that toxin in me so long that I needed professional help in order to talk about it, to get it out so we can begin to do some things for me to then develop the things that I've developed in my life to stay winning, as I call it now. Right. And what it did is also it took me down off my emotions that I can then hear from a vertical relationship, from a spiritual level, some of the things I needed to do and some of the things I needed to stop doing. And so all of that happened in order to empower me to then get how many years now down the road to a point that I can say, listen, this is how I did it. This is what I went through. This is what I was going through. This is what I did wrong and was idiotic to do it that way. But this is what I did right. This is my version of it. And what I've done is I developed a way of doing things right after that time period. I did not want to just go through that, have that um, win, so to speak, and then go back into doing nothing because you need to do something. Mm -hmm. Everyone needs to do something when it comes to your mental health. You can't just do nothing because if you do nothing, then something will be done to you. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah, it does. So I'm going to take the offensive. I'm going to be offensive and I'm going to start doing things in order to have life develop in a way that um, that I would want it to go the majority of the time. Not all the time because you can't stop all of everything, mm -hmm. but you can develop a mindset. And that's what I did. And so one of the things that I would then tell people is to go to BrianDawkins.com. You will read it in detail. Mm -hmm. And it's called the Blueprint Challenge. The Blueprint Challenge is literally what I developed for my life right after that, that dark episode of my life. So when I came out of it, as I was coming out of it, I began to pray and meditate a lot more, journal for the first time, really, a lot more. Mm -hmm. And that is... It's a couple of things that has stuck with me. So I pray, I read, and I meditate, and I journal every morning. Wow. Every morning, without question, every morning. Sometimes the duration is shorter than longer than others, but every morning I do that. So I give myself, you know, at I would say at least 45 minutes to an hour mm -hmm. to get these things done, right? So it's, it's breathing, and, and during that is all is also because I've studied up on these things now. Mm -hmm. It's different variations of breathing techniques that I, that I utilize in my meditation practice to get me centered, to get me in, in, a, in a peaceful place. Matter of fact, I don't know if you can hear this, mm -hmm. but this, can you hear that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, the, it sounds like a beach. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right now I have that on the TV. On okay. surround sound, and that's one of the things that I meditate to in the morning. I okay. put the beach scene on as I'm meditating, and I can hear the birds. You can hear the water. Mm -hmm. and that's one of the practices that I use in my meditation. So when I'm meditating, I get in that peaceful pace, place, and I begin to pray. Mm -hmm. I speak for a while, and then I shut up and I listen, and I just listen. And then I do my journaling, and then I excuse me, I do my devotion. Then then I journal. Mm -hmm. Now write out what's going through me, what I'm feeling and what I'm sensing, what I'm thinking, what, what I believe is coming from me, coming through me for me to write down in my journal, right? You know how empowering that is? Yeah, I was going to say, what, what, is that, what does that practice do for you? Uh, do you? Is it something that you go back and you look on later and you, you learn from things? Or is it just a kind of cleansing of just everything that's on your mind? Like, what does journaling do for you? So journaling for me, it first of all, in the moment... In the moment, it helps me 
better articulate my feelings and thoughts, what's coming through me at that moment, right? I do also do gratitude in the morning. So I have a, you know, at least three things, three people I either think about or I journal these individuals and I really think on what, what do I feel when I think of this person? What do I feel just like the beach scene? What do I feel when I look at this beach scene, right? Mm-hmm. So I allow myself to dive into the feeling of it, not just the thought of it, right? But what journaling also does is that when I write it in that moment, in that state, a lot of times I'll go back and read it and be like, wow, did that come out of me? Did that come out of me? Or that, mm-hmm. excuse me, did that come through me? Right. Right. So it blesses me the second time because I'll read it later on in the evening. I'll go back and read what I wrote early in the day again. Mm-hmm. And that's another, another time for me to absorb the wisdom in the thing that I just wrote. Because a lot of times in that moment, and this is getting deep here now. Yeah. A lot of times in that moment, I'm not necessarily writing. Like there's a like I believe that the Holy Spirit in me is actually helping me to pen some things, sure. some details, some things to help me. And so the thing that I'm now receiving is not just for me. Because oftentimes when I journal something and it's real, real deep, I just <laughs> a day or so later. A topic will come up with someone and guess what I'll share with them? The exact details that I wrote in that doggone journal, right? So that's how it manifests through me. It blesses Mm -hmm. me first, encourages me first. And then that thing, oftentimes, once again, I'm able to then share with someone else to enlighten or strengthen their day, strengthen their, their understanding of what's possible for them going forward, right? That's and listen, that is so powerful and it's cleansing because when I step out of that room and I step into the, the, to kiss my, my girls uh, before they go off to school and, you know, they know I'm going to send a, a, a Bible verse to them every morning. So I, and I do that every morning. I send the whole family a, a Bible verse of, of I've read and meditated on. And so it's an empowerful, peaceful place to exist in. No matter what's going on, a lot mm-hmm. of times if I go into it stressed out, I'll come out of it. I'm a different cat. I'm feeling and I'm sensing that I'm again. I'm not by myself, even though it feels like I'm by myself. I am not by myself. Mm-hmm. Not only do I have my vertical relationship intact, now I can then, if I need to, though, I can then reach out to at least four people that I have in my life. I call them my blessed pack that I can reach out to for further conversation or prayer if i need be but so that's a let's just say it's a powerful formula so for you to develop your version of it whoever this is whoever needs this you develop your version of what this looks like and if you do it and you can also add and this other again it's not that's just the premise of what i do those are the blueprints Mm -hmm. sometimes i'll also add in i am affirmations about specific things that i'm going after you know, I'm, I'm so thankful now. I am so blessed and thankful now that ideas come to me in a powerful way on a consistent basis. I'll add, sometimes I'll add those into my meditation, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So these are all things that I utilize, once again, to empower me to attack the day, not just wait for the day, but to attack the day with, 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 with wisdom and discernment. 
And I think that's something that the good thing about that is everybody, no matter if you play in the NFL, you play a sport in general, or you just work, you just, you're just out there working like I am, uh, that can be applied there, but what has nothing to do with football, right? Exactly. Now, do with football. now the other thing that you have to be as a star in the NFL each week, you got to prepare your body week in and week out to be prepared for that grind. I don't think the casual fan of the NFL or college football can truly understand what that's like. Can you just get a, give a sense of like the physical side of being prepared every single week to go play a football game? I can try to explain it. (laughs) It, it, You'll never really be able to get it. Um, The, so on Sundays, I've heard it equated and I would agree with it that a lot of times the contact that we have is equated to car crashes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. And so when you're putting your body through that, you wake up on Monday like you're yeah, you're beat up, right? Especially if you played the physical as as I did cuz I played, you know, yeah. I, I played the physical oh, yeah. brand of ball. Yeah. So you're you're literally beat up. And so but if you don't have the thought process, now it's different today than it was back then. Today is more expected of you to do some of the things that I'm about to talk about. Back then it was not. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So back then, I spent a whole lot of money from from individuals, whether it be chiropractors, whether it be buying a hyperbaric chamber, whether it be masseuses, and all of those things, in order to get my body back to a semblance, so that I can run full speed again on Wednesday. So Monday and Tuesday, you know, you kind of work some of the soreness out on uh, Mondays, right? Mm-hmm. Do some I call it active rest type things, some movements, light movements, get your massages. Tuesday is a deeper dive into that process of really getting the rest of the soreness out. Um, but you have to eat properly. You have to mm-hmm. hydrate. And all of that is why you still have a family. So you still have a family life, right? Yeah. So there's a balancing act for you to spend time with your family during yeah. the time that you're beat up and you're sore. And you can sometimes barely walk after after a game, especially on Mondays, getting right. out of bed. But here's here's the thing: there all there's also a mindset that you're willing to push through and persevere through that pain, through that soreness, and breathe through. I've developed the practice of breathing through those deep tissue massages to get that the, those basically the toxins out of yeah. your muscles. So that yeah. they can be healthy again, so that I can run once again run full speed without any limp, without anything, on Wednesday, and that's a tough process. Yeah. And now, go through the rigors of the week in order to go into the game. And I, it's, I mean, I, I can go into so many details. Yeah, I'm sure. Each one of those days, but each one of them, each one of those days, there's specific things that I would do throughout the day in order for me to dial into what am I needing to approve on, improve on, what is expected of me. Um, it's leaving time in the end of the day, a lot of times Tuesday and Thursdays for me to talk to teammates if I need to, like if they really need some some one-on-one time. Because yeah, you were the leader of the team pretty much yes. the whole career, yeah. Yes, yes. So it's again, extra responsibility. it's a whole lot more responsibility than yeah. just lining up practicing, going home, eating, playing a game. It's so much more responsibility behind the scenes that people don't. And you'll never, again, if I didn't say some of the stuff that I just said, you wouldn't know that some of this stuff goes on. But there's so much more that 
again, for those individuals like myself who earn the right to be leaders, there's so much more that we have to, uh, to attend, to attend to. Uh, you mentioned the hyperbaric chamber. You, you got that from T.O., right? Is that, did I read that in the yes. book? Yes. So as fans, we get the media portrayal of T.O., um, but being on a team with him and being the leader of the team, describe the kind of interesting character that you know T.O. to be. Yes, T.O. T.O. is a cat with a huge heart, man. Yeah. And that's, that, and that's the, that's the, um, that's the sad part, sad thing about it for me that he yeah. is a dude with a with a huge heart. So you, I would have a conversation with him, and oh, he, you know, we would be, you know, come around and see my kids, and all of a sudden he's a different dude, like mm -hmm. running around with, you know, playing around and all that stuff, and even the conversations we would have, and it's one of the reasons I felt good enough to go ask him you know so what do you do i respected the way he looked at his age right we were yeah. right around the same age and i'm like so what do you do in the off season brother to help you because i'm always searching i was always searching for the the next thing to help me um stay at the top of my game and he mentioned hyperbaric chamber and because he looked the way he looked practiced the way he practiced that's the other thing mm -hmm. love the way that i do practice he practiced like a game like i did right and so that right. amped up the competition which makes you better. So mm -hmm. if he's going hard and I'm going hard, yeah. we're both helping one another grow. It's the same thing with the cornerbacks. But he also brought a mentality into the receiver room that was lacking, right? And so all of those things actually helped and blessed the team to do things a specific way, a different way, right? And so, and he also brought some, um, um, uh, I forget what it's called. Um, Uh, just just when I was about to say it, I can't remember, but it was it's a it's a when he broke his ankle, and hopefully I'll remember it as I'm trying to explain this. When he broke his ankle, he brought in someone, Ann McMakin, Ann McMakin, I think her name was, mm -hmm. to do this treatment on his ankle to keep the swelling down, and okay. it's it's a, it's a wow. It's a wow, a lot of dials and the body's. It's a specific vibration that the gloves vibrate at. Wow, reach yeah. specific areas to help keep inflammation down and stuff like that. Uh -huh. And so that technique was then introduced into the Philadelphia Eagles, and so they still use that to this day. Okay, right, and that's one of the things that helped me come back from my my neck when I hurt mm -hmm. my neck is going out to her out in Oregon where she was at the time she's no longer doing it but you know okay. I went out to her and she over a couple of days during a week doing everybody else's practice and I had to go to her which I loved the fact that I went to her but again she helped bring regenerate the nerves quicker with the techniques she used so nerves take a long time to regenerate when you damage them they take a long time, but, but, but by this technique, she helped regenerate those nerves. The reason why I go deep into that, these are all things that were brought to us by T.O. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, <laughs> circus stuff that happened <laughs> yeah, right. that was given a lot of attention, and rightfully so, but there's other right. things behind the scenes that was brought that blessed the heck out of us, man, that, again, some of these things blessed the heck out of me and allowed me what is probably one of the things that helped me um play the as game the game as long yeah as hard as violent and as aggressive as i as i did 
So I, I told you before this, I live in Atlanta. I'm a Falcons fan. You guys beat us in the 2002 playoffs. You beat us 20 to six. You had a pick in that game. Then in the 2004 NFC Championship game, you beat us 27-10. You had a pick in that game, and you had a devastating hit on Algie Crumpler right before halftime that kind of set the tone for the rest of the game, in my opinion. Obviously, you guys won both games, and you yeah. shut the Falcons down, but what was it like playing against an athlete like Michael Vick? Because that dude, I, I swear, like even now, like you know, Lamar might be the best comparison, but that dude was different, man. Like I remember even as a Florida State fan playing him in college, and he was beating us single-handedly. The, the dude was slippery. Yeah. He was extremely <laughs> slippery. He was extremely quick. And he was one of those guys that within the, the first three steps, he's almost running full speed. Like, and you don't, that's not, that's not average. That's not normal. <laughs> and so that's why he was able to do what he did with his legs so effectively. And because of the offense that they put up with Warwick Dunn and they had ran that little, mm -hmm. um, and you can almost call it an RPO before RPO was the hit, the end thing to do, what he would kind of read a little bit, not read, but it would be some gives, be some gives. And as soon as you start to crash down to, to come get Warwick, he would just pull it and keep it around the side. And if you come get him, then he did, just throws it down to Algie down, down, down the field. Yeah. And so there was so much to trying to stop that offense and they didn't do a whole lot. They were just extremely efficient right. at what they did. And because of that dude's speed and quickness, it was unbelievable to go yeah. up against the speed that, that 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 at which he played the game at. Well, you guys didn't seem to have too much of a tr uh, trouble stopping him in the, in the playoffs, at least. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, now that, that your playing days are over, do you, do you watch a, a bunch of football still? College football, pro football? I, I do. I don't. I don't watch it as as much as I used to. Um, is and I, a lot of it is because my my i guess my day my thoughts my next steps does not revolve around being better as a player mm -hmm. or helping someone else be better so that's kind of the the phase or studying to look at film in order to explain to people as i watch film from when i was a, a, a analyst for espn what i'm mm -hmm. seeing and how this person can actually be better and that's one of the reasons i don't think I think I didn't last at ESPN because I actually was trying to help people, and you know that's not yeah. that's not necessarily what people want. They don't want to yeah. necessarily hear that. Right. But I like to help people. I like yeah. to show, see, see, let them see what I see a little bit, but then offer things. This is what if I was in his shoes, or if I could tell him, this is what I would tell him to do. But once I retired, and once not not I retired, excuse me. Once I once we won the Super Bowl. As when I was an executive for the Philadelphia Eagles, mm -hmm. I can just, I can just tell you my heart changed, yeah. and that love that I had for the game of football to watch it, to study it, to teach it, that began to diminish, and the feeling and the drive that I have to now help other people outside of the building, mm -hmm. it that began to grow and strengthen and develop, and I knew as an executive I could not do what I'm doing now. If right. I was working for anyone in the NFL. Um, so you may not pay too much attention, but Clemson, you know, they've they've gone on this incredible run over the last several years, and, and this year has been a bit of a struggle. And I think maybe some of it goes into what you've kind of talked about with just having that grind of that mentality of I'm sticking with this and I'm not gonna hit the transfer portal. They're four and three this year. They don't seem to have an identity. 
and, and maybe maybe it's not just Clemson, but just in general, you see this a lot. How do you go from a team that is dominant to the very next year with many of the same players? In Clemson's case, I mean, you lose the first overall pick, you lose a first round running back. I get that, but you'll see teams go from incredibly dominant to all of a sudden middle of the pack. Is it is it a is it a culture thing? Uh, you know, in the NFL, it's I guess easier to turn over a roster, but how how does a team change that quickly in nine months? And see, that's the thing about it. You have to look at and be more, um, I guess, understanding of who left. Mm -hmm. Who left? I remember maybe about five years ago, Alabama was struggling, mm -hmm. and it was like, oh, this. People have finally caught up the nick, right? It's right. over with. The ride is over with. No. Yeah. When you lose substantial talent, leaders, guys who are mo moving on and having success at the next level type mm -hmm. of individuals, it's not so much of a given that these next class is going to grow up as quickly as that class did. Right. You feel me? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it takes guys a little bit more in order to grow into the culture. The culture may be great, but you just guys aren't just mature enough to be able to do some of the things that are necessary on a consistent basis to have the success that they had. And sometimes you have to, I won't say dumb down because that would be um, um, probably insulting to the guys who are there, but to bring down some of the things that you're asking them to do, right? right? To make it a little more simple so that they can execute a little better, mm -hmm. right? And that may make the score stay tighter longer, right? Mm -hmm. Instead mm -hmm. of being able to do all of these things. And the other thing is when you lose substantial talent. So you just talked about the number one pick in the draft. Mm -hmm. And then you talked about the all-time leading, I think, rusher in ACC. ACC. Yeah, ETN, yeah. Now, right. when you are a young quarterback coming in, which Trevor was, and you're mm -hmm. coming into a backfield with him at the running back position, yeah. And then you have veteran receivers. You have a veteran offensive lineman. Now, you have this new quarterback comes in. Yep. Dude, is there a veteran in the backfield? No. Do they nope. truly have a veteran at receiver? Nope. Yeah. Oh, and then you have injuries across the line of scrimmage. Right. So, like, you can't just say, oh, it's the same old Clemson team, the same old organization. It right. is. Yeah. But the talent is just different. And it's not that, it's not a, it's not that they're not good talent. You just have sometimes it just takes some guys a little longer to grow yeah right but because they've been clemson and they've been in the playoffs all of a sudden oh everybody's caught up to mm -hmm. dabo and they've caught up to come on man yeah come on that's come that's on. what's that's what's just so i think nick saban has kind of changed he's the only coach i've ever seen that can sustain it year in year out well, again but again yeah. back in a couple of years ago now yeah Clemson blew them out. You know, a couple of other teams beat them. Mm -hmm. Georgia, I think, beat a couple of teams were beating Nick on a regular basis. They were like, oh, people have finally caught up with Nick. Yeah. No. And here's the other thing Nick did. Nick kind of changed the way that he does things, too. Yeah. So he self-reflected on, okay, what do we need to do differently? We, we've, always be a, we've always been a defensive juggernaut team, right, that ran the football all the time. Well, with and i've heard him say this mm -hmm. now we're going to have to we, we've changed the philosophy that yes we're going to always be a defensive juggernaut but we're going to throw the football mm -hmm. we're going to open things up we're going to be more multiple in the way that we do things because the rules are such that it yeah. rewards teams that do that so he changed right 
So sometimes there's a little, maybe a little bit, little bit of changing that needs to happen when you yeah. self-reflect on the, the struggles you've had. You talk about the rules changing. How many flags would you've got back in the day if the if the rules they don't let DBs play at all these days? Man, like, I would have gotten the same. Yeah, I would have gotten the same flags. I mean, okay. it's, I, even even when I was playing, um, not in college though. See, college yeah. is different. They they had not implemented the the the, uh, the was it the um, uh, head hunting? Not not head. Yeah, hunting. like targeting basically. Targeting. Like, that, yeah, that's they awesome. throw you out of the game. Right, they had they had not implemented that, not even close when yeah. I was playing. So that would have been that would have been a, an adjustment. But here's yeah. the thing that I would say about that adjustment: it's a lot easier to adjust to something that you've been taught when you were young. So you are taught this is how you do it, and this is how you then will do it the majority of the time. You're always going to make mistakes. You're never going to be perfect, right? Mm -hmm. But I was taught that's what you go for. That's right. what you do. Yeah. That you lead like that and you lunge like that. This is the perfect tackle growing up. So now yeah. when you get up in age into the pros and they're like, hey, you can't do it like that anymore. So now you have to learn a different way. Mm -hmm. But my philosophy is always that if you're a professional, or if you are a professional at what you do, you learn to change your technique, no matter what it is you're doing. It may right. not be easy, but because you are a professional at what you do, you learn and you change. Last question on football, and then I'll get you out of here with some rapid fire questions. And then I want to um, promote your book at the end here, see where people can get it. Where do, you, where do you think, this is just a global football question. Where do you think the future of football is headed as a sport with just all the discussion around CTE and concussions? Do you, because there's, there's a definitely a sector of people out there that think, man, I don't I wouldn't let my kids play football. And I just feel like I, I worry for the future. What, what are your thoughts on that? I don't worry for the future uh. of football. I don't. Um, there, there's so much that people who are on the outside looking into it and one of the most comfortable chairs is the Monday morning quarterback chair. That's the most comfortable chair there is. Mm -hmm. right, you can say whatever you want. This is what I would do. This is what... But when you grow up in some of the places that I've seen myself and others have grown up, when you have the opportunity to play a game the way that football is being played, it actually is the safest it's ever been mm -hmm. today yeah. because of the rules that are being implemented, which we don't like, right? Sometimes we don't like the way they're called. Sure. But the rules themselves, I can understand them. Mm -hmm. I understand why they're doing what they're doing. And because of that, injuries and those things are the like have diminished right you'll never there's no sport that would ever be a hundred percent injury free and people always talk about football but soccer has a bunch of concussions in it as well so there's no sport yeah. that will ever be completely injury free but when you take teaching better techniques and they starts off at a younger age then you have the ability for things to be better right yeah. but like i said football is right now an American institution. Oh, absolutely. Like people's whole, think about when football was not played and they was talking about not playing the game, excuse me, Yeah. in 2020, mm -hmm. right? People yeah. couldn't go to stadiums. You know how, you know, that literally was messing with people's mental health. No. Not having that outlet to go see the game. People's whole, and, and this is, I believe they understand this. The NFL understands this. People's whole lives, some people, are wrapped around 
football. This is whose house we're going to go. This is what we're bringing. This is what mm -hmm. they're bringing, right? Yep. This is where we're meeting up to watch this game. So it's it's not just a game. Like it's literally a um, a bringing together of families, of people, of friends to watch this. So it's again, it's not just people out there banging. It's literally things that connects people. And one of the greatest connectors that I've seen football do also is when I played the game of football, when we played the game of football, when you play sports, but we'll leave it to football right now. We're all brothers, no matter where you came from, no matter if you came from a rich family or you came from a struggling family, whatever you came from, we're in that locker room, we're brothers. And I would go to the lengths to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. That's how close and, and, and tight we were, right? Yeah. And so that's a bonding thing. So there's, there's, there's so many applications of what sports brings, not, not, and not even talking about that movement itself blesses the body, right? I know that the contact may not bless, but the movement and some of the things that we have to do thinking, it literally blesses our body, our mental health. So it helps us in a great, great way. Yeah, I got a chance to to go up. You know, in the south here, we're big college football, and in the north northeast, obviously NFL is king. I got a chance to go to an Eagles game against the Giants for my brother in law is a big Eagles fan, and I told him I was talking to you. He was fired up. So, John, I'm talking to Weapon X right now. Uh, but I got to experience what football is like in Philadelphia, and you talk about an event. I it's mean, it's an event. That's what I was looking for. It's an event. Yep. It's literally an, an event. Yeah. yeah. So, um, all right. So let's take you through a couple questions here at the end. Rapid fires. First thing that comes to your head, um, and it could be real quick. Uh, best team you played against in college? Florida State. Love that. Uh, best player you played against in college? Oh wow! In college, Charlie Ward. Oh, that's the man right there. Uh, best player you played with in the NFL? The best player. Um, it's probably tough. That, that is very tough. I would say the guy that I looked up to and helped me out the most probably is Troy Vincent. Mm -hmm. um, Talent-wise, the, the best player, um, wow. It will, and I know he was just a rookie at the time, but the best, just the gifted dude, was probably uh, Vaughn Miller. Really? Yeah, yeah. Beast? <laughs> Freakish, yeah. like it was on. But I, I could, I can't say that I saw what he was. He's doing now, but like when I saw him yeah. this first year, that rookie year, the first into that second year, I was like, this dude gonna be special. If he gets it, if he truly gets it, he's gonna be special. That's cool. Uh, how hard were practices at Clemson? Oh, they were brutal. We didn't have we didn't have some of the the regulations that they have now. I remember, um, and it's in the book that uh, we actually literally had three a days pads so we had pads the first practice passed the last practice and the middle practice was a special teams practice and that was shells but literally we still had shoulder pads on so it was it was a padded practice so yeah it was brutal, oh. brutal. uh who wins the super bowl this year oh wow don't know i, I yeah, yeah. It's, not it's following many. it or just too many good teams no it's it, no it's not it's not that it's too many good teams it's the team that you think that is hot now all of a sudden begins to struggle greatly and obviously you know right now um if you had your pick it would probably be arizona would 
probably be up there. Tampa yeah. will probably be up there. Um, hey, Brady, I don't understand how Brady does it still. Yeah. Brady's. I mean, you have to give Tom a lot of credit for what he's doing with his body. Yeah. Taking care of his body. And because Tom is taking care of his body, his brain is being taken care of as well, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, it kind of goes hand in hand. When you're taking care of your body and you're exercising the way he is, he is staying hydrated, your brain is being taken care of as well. But here's the other thing that has blessed Tom. He's coming through and he's playing at the same time that the owners have said that you can't touch the quarterback. Yeah, that's true. So think about it. The practices are not what they used to be. There's not physical. Quarterback has never really been physical. But mm-hmm. you can't touch the quarterback in the game even now, pretty much. If you don't, if you do, you're going to get fine, flagged, yes, but fine. Fined, you know, yeah. Sometimes $20,000 for, for, for a hit on a quarterback. So you can't touch him. And you, yeah. are, you can't land on him. So all of these things is a perfect storm. Him taking care of his body, him understanding the importance of that, and then them making the quarterback basically can't touch him. Yeah. It's a perfect storm for to do exactly what he's doing. I love it. Um, how do you stay in shape now? It's a lifestyle, brother. Yeah. I still push weight. I still lift weights. I still um, still move, um, stretch stay hydrated, eat properly. For the most part, the majority yeah. of the time I eat, you know, still like I used to when I was playing, because once again, it's, a, it's not, it's not something that I do because I play football. It's something that I do because I want to live life in such a way as to, I won't say prolong life, but to live the heck out of life, mm-hmm. right? To have a vibrant life, to have energy galore, Right. Matter of fact, I'll give you this. I know what I'm going to look like. It was up to me now. I know mm-hmm. what I'm, I know what I'm going to look like at 50, 60, 70, 80. I already have that vision. Yeah. I already have that picture. Matter of fact, I've cut some pictures out of physiques, different guys at different ages. Uh-huh. That that's what I'm going to look like. Right. Again, if it's up to me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. It's up to me. Me doing what I'm supposed to do. That's 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 how I that's how I do the future. I envision it now. I like that. All right, two more here. Uh, I read in the book you're a big Bob Marley fan. What's your bucket list concert that you have to get to that you haven't done yet? Man. I'm not really a concert dude no more, though. Like, like, no, nah, yeah, was, I hear you. Yeah, like I'm not really a concert dude no more. It's um, kind of weird now because COVID, like, just we all got used to not being in crowds. And now, if you're in a crowd, now you're like, man, I got get everyone a little anxious, <laughs> a, little, a little anxiety. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what kind of music? I, do you I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really have a like a bucket list. Okay. Uh, That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Kirk Herbstreit yeah. said Luke Bryan, which was a horrible answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't, yeah, I don't. And then I don't know how much you pay attention to it, but I'll ask because we're a college football show. Who do you think wins the title this year in college football? Man, you got to love Georgia's chances, bro. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, that defense, the way that defense is playing right now, like, I'm not saying they don't have a good offense. They have a, but that defense, the way that that defense is playing, and, yeah. and if you look at the trend, so to speak, when you have a strong defense like that, as long as the offense don't turn it over, as long as they don't do something stupid, you have your chance of uh, you have a great chance of winning ball game. So um, well, they'll be there lean, in Jacksonville this not, weekend. Yeah, I'm gonna have to lean towards uh, lean towards Georgia right now. 
I'm the same. Um, all right. That's the end of the questions. I got a chance to read your book. It's called Blessed by the Best, My Journey to Canton Beyond. I personally think it's a fantastic read. I'm not a big Clemson fan or a big Philly fan, but I loved it. And I think anybody would. It's a, it's a book. It's not so much just about football. It's about adapting, overcoming, conquering challenges in life. You can apply everything that's talked about in the book to you, no matter what you do. I couldn't put it down. Um, it, it leaves you inspired. It motivates you to perform at the highest level possible, which you obviously did, whether you play a sport or not. What's cool is if you buy the book, 50% of the net proceeds will be pledged to the Brian Dawkins Impact Foundation to support mental wellness, financial literacy, and family assistance programs, which I think is off the charts cool. Uh, where can our listeners get your book? Where can they follow you? Just kind of put your stuff out there. Yeah, so BrianDawkins.com. You go to okay. BrianDawkins.com, the same place I told you to yeah. check out the Blueprint Challenge. You can go there to get the book. And then, you know, coming up here soon, I'll have uh, the Weapon X Academy. So the Weapon X, Weapon X Coaching Academy um, is it, literally me telling you from a high level, as I've looked back over my career, how I went on to do what I did and program my mind, program my brain and program my, you know, me to go out and have the success that I had. And so the first introduction into that is the beast package or the beast formula and that's an acronym that stands for the best energy attitude self today that's beast and so it a four four quarterback module of you learning what i consider the best the modeling the best um the energy right passion i believe passion has to be included in energy yeah. and how you go about fueling your body we was talking about tom right the mm -hmm. things that you need to do that you can fuel your body to have that 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 everlasting energy right that prolonged energy in situations self self has to basically do with um the premise of it is what do you say to yourself about yourself on a daily basis throughout the day right that's a powerful thing to understand mm -hmm. and how to go about changing those things and then today is really how how you reframe and how you make friends with your yesterday and how you look forward to your tomorrows so you can absolutely love what you're doing today mm -hmm. right so when you invite that and have an understanding of how to create that for yourself then you will wake up every morning you can't wait to get going i can't i can't wait to get out of bed to do some of the stuff that i'm going to do in order to prepare to give to people to bless people i can't like i'm talking i'm talking for me right now yeah right so some of the things that i'm about to do to help inspire people i can't wait to get up to begin to listen to even more information read more books you know to, to gather more wisdom in order for me to then share with individuals that sign up for that and then we'll have like group coaching sessions twice a month and we can really dive into some details on how we can help one another become the best versions of ourselves. That's great, man. Well, hey, look, I really appreciate the time. I know we've gone a long time today. Get back to your beach scene. And uh, next time you're up in Alpharetta, I'll come say hello. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you for the time too, man. Yeah, thanks.